Now we want to get into our sermon, Crash and Burn. Oh my goodness, Crash and Burn. I've been sharing with you, it's going to work. Uh, can you advance me there, Drew, that first poster? been sharing with you this poster. Hang in there. I thought I'd pull it up. This is supposed to be the one from back in the 70s when that was shown. Do that because we've talked about the book of Hebrews. The whole overriding point to the book is encouraging the Hebrew Christians to hang in there. Even though life is tough, even though living for their faith is tough, even though they were facing great challenges and persecution, that uh, the book is encouraging them to hang in there, that it's worth it, because we worship a Savior who is greater than anyone. He is the Supreme Lord. And we're going to finish this up today. And we've been talking about this slippery slope and how it moves along. And we've talked about the slow drift, that it starts with just kind of Gradually, non-intentional perhaps, moving away from the importance of the Word in our life, not reading it regularly, not uh, thinking about it. And then we can start running into doubts and in that we have an adversary who wants to instill doubt in our mind that the Word of God is true, that God is true. And he, he's done that from the dawn of time, with, starting with Eve and, and then with Adam, uh, instilling doubt in them. Did God really say? And so we can struggle with doubt in our life. And as we continue down that path, we round the bend and we can start becoming dull to God's Word. We, it just doesn't have the impact on us. We don't hear His voice. We don't respond to Him. Uh, and we don't think He's responding to us as He used to. But we become dull or uh, a phrase I use that I've used about my own hearing is we get, it's like we have peanut butter in our ears. It's just muffled and, and not clear. And so we start questioning there. And if we continue down that, building up steam, we start to despise God's Word. And that despise, in, in this sense of definition, means we just don't want anything to do with it. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to be faced with it. We don't want the music of, of God because all of it reminds us of who He is, of the life we should be living. And frankly, we just don't want to be reminded we want to live like we want to live. And so we start despising what God has said because it convicts us and we don't want to be convicted. And today's sermon continues on with the next step of that with crash and burn. If we continue down that path, we get to a place where we defy God's Word. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 18. Verse 18 reads, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. 
that's a picture of, of God in the Old Testament, that, that picture of his power and his might, and his presence was so inviolable that even the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, could not be approached by even an animal. And so it was fearful. It was terrifying. And God is that majestic. But it continues on. You've not come to that mountain. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, in the Old Testament, Man's sin made it impossible for him to commune with God. And there was no way to eliminate that sin. They were supposed to live a righteous life. They were supposed to follow the Ten Commandments. God ordered them, commanded them how to live. But of course, as humans with a sinful nature, we fail. And that sinful nature not being atoned for prevented that relationship with God, and it was a relationship of condemnation and judgment. Everybody uh, in that time was uh, condemned to a life of separation from God. Even if they were a righteous person, there could not be that communion. But in between those two verses of, of uh, chapter 20, uh, 24 and 25, no, sorry, verse 21 and 22, what we have occurring there is a bridge over that chasm. There was a great chasm separating man from God, and it could not be crossed. But Jesus became that bridge. It was the bridge was the cross of Jesus Christ, and by his atoning work on their behalf, a path was made possible to God. And what happened on that great day when Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected as all of those who had striven to live for God all through the Old Testament who had lived a righteous life. And a righteous life does not mean a perfect life. It means a life lived for God. They tried to honor God. All of those who had lived that righteous life had been waiting all those many, many years for the opportunity to come into God's fellowship. And God had promised that one day that would happen. Well, when Jesus Christ came, that day was that day. And that cross bridged that chasm. And Paul teaches us that what does it mean that Jesus ascended except that he descended and led the captives host in his train. He was the host of the captives in his train. He rescued all of the righteous who had lived for God all those thousands of years from, from Adam and Eve up till the time of Jesus on the cross. And they were able then to escape Sheol, the place of the dead, and ascend to heaven with God. It was a glorious day. 
had to be a glorious day in heaven. When you think about it, God is, has prepared a place, and Jesus said He went on back to continue finishing it for you and I. But God's up there, and He can't have communion with His creation. He loves His people. He wanted to walk in the garden like He did with Adam and Eve. He wanted that fellowship, and it was denied Him because of our sin nature. But on that day that Jesus Christ died on the cross, descended to the grave, and rose on high, all those that loved God came to be with Him in heaven. You talk about a homecoming. You talk about a reunion. That was a great day. There had to be great shouts of joy, and God's heart had to be busting that those who have called upon His name were with Him. But it was a different time. They had a different relationship with God during that time, and it was a different situation. But when Jesus Christ came, He ushered in a new covenant of mercy and grace. He ushered in a new covenant that was forgiveness. And we enjoy that. We, once we know about Jesus Christ, once we hear the message, once we receive it, we right now have that fellowship. We may not be in heaven yet, but we have it here on earth. We have Him abiding within us. We have that promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Back in the Old Testament, if you'll think about the verses with the great prophets, with, with um, excuse me, Gideon and Samson and some others, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. What would happen in the Old Testament when God had a work that He needed to do, wanted to do, His Spirit would descend for a time onto that person, that vessel He was going to use, and the task would be accomplished. But once that task was done, He would depart back in the heaven. The Spirit would leave. And so that person was without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could not reside with man because of the sin nature. Since Jesus Christ came, that's no longer true. And as you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I trust and hope that you have, the Holy Spirit now comes, resides within you permanently, forever. He never leaves. And that's what Jesus is talking about when He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are infilled as you have called upon the name of Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are infilled with His Holy Spirit. And so that's the difference the author is drawing up here between how it was before Christ and now how it is after Christ. And that we live in this new covenant of grace and peace. The trouble is, we can't take advantage of that. We are reminded to continue on. And it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Talking about God. For if they didn't escape, and talking about the Old Testament, when they refused him who warned on earth, how much more will we not escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven? If you can just imagine the ingratitude or the arrogant spirit in, in the Old Testament, it was a time of judgment and law and condemnation. And through that fear of the Lord and through a love for Him, the people would obey. 
but they were waiting. They hadn't received what they were going to receive. We now live in a time where Jesus Christ has come. He has died on the cross. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you of your sins. You have but to accept that. And so we are in a place where we've gotten the, the prize. And if we, having received that, refuse God, how much more arrogant and hard-hearted is that? That's what it's talking about here. Whose voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Talking about that great day uh, that they're, they're coming up on in the study of Revelation, when all things are going to be set right. The phrase, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, that can be shaken, as of things that have been made, those things which are not shaken may remain. Therefore, you, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace through which we serve God acceptably with reverence and fear, for our God is a consuming fire. If we, and we have, received this gift of God, this gift of salvation, this gift of the Holy Spirit that is able to teach us, encourage us, give us wisdom, give us strength beyond the strength we have within ourselves. We have eternal life right now. We're still living on earth, but our eternal life is deposited for us in heaven. It's waiting on us. On that day that you take your last breath, you who have accepted Christ as Savior will be ushered into the presence of, of holy God and be free from all the ugliness here on earth. You have that gift right now. You just don't get to open it yet, thank God. We don't want you to open it today. We want you to live as long as you're supposed to live. But on that day, you'll get to open that gift that you have possession of. So it's not hard to see the, the ingratitude or how much more severe it is that we have this great treasure and we refuse it. We won't listen to Him. We won't do what He has said for us to do. And that's what this is talking about here. And so we must be careful to continue on. We have Jesus talking about that there is a day coming. Jesus who loves us. Jesus who is merciful, who forgave the woman caught in adultery, who forgave all the others. He, 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 he is a tender and compassionate God. He fed the 5,000. Jesus also has taught us some of the very most hard teachings about judgment and hell. He says, when the Son of Man comes in all His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Before Him all the nations will be gathered, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on His right hand. The right hand is the place of power. To be seated at the right hand of the king was a prominent position. And that's where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And so he's going to separate those righteous people to the right, but the goats on the left. The left is seen as evil. The left is opposed to God. 
Then the king will tell those in his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say also to those on his left hand, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, which is prepared for his devil and his angels. So we have this situation where Jesus has made a way into the Holy of Holies, into heaven. It is prepared for you. It is ready for you. It is waiting for you, and you can have it today. But that doesn't mean we can live like we want to live. It doesn't mean we can not pay attention to the teachings He gives us. To do that is a, is a spoiled little child defying the Word of God. And so we must continue on, and Jesus reminds us of that judgment. Paul reminds us of, we, of our need to continue on when he says, What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under the grace. May it never be. You see, some of the people in Paul's time were making the argument that, hey, if I sin and God by His grace forgives me, that's making God look good. So my sin is helping God. That's kind of a backwards logic, isn't it? But that's what they were thinking. So that's what Paul's addressing. Okay, we're covered by grace. We're covered by forgiveness. God has forgiven us, will forgive us, and, and we'll look beyond that so I can go ahead and do what I want to. No, that's not the right attitude. We love Him, and we love because He first loved us. So our proper response to what Jesus has done for us is to love Him all the more, to serve Him all the more, we don't do it because we're trying to attain heaven. For it is not by works that ye are saved, but the gift of God. We don't work, we don't do things to try to get his eye to please him so that maybe he'll let us in. We do his will, we obey him, we live for him because of the gift he has given us. Because of the love he has shown us. And we want to honor Him. We want to live for Him. We want to do His will in order to please Him and to honor Him with our lives. We love because He first loved us. And so we need to continue on in this faith. We can't allow ourselves. We need to guard ourselves from that drifting away, from that doubt from that becoming dull to His Word. We need to stay in His Word. I've heard too many times, well, I've read it. Read it again. This is a powerful, deep uh, uh, Word of God, and it applies anew and afresh every day. And it, it's really not hard to understand that, because each day you are different. Each day you have new experiences. Each day you have new relationships, new uh, events in your life, new trials in your life. And so as you go to read it again, it speaks to you differently because you're growing, you're deepening, you're facing new challenges. And so we need to stay in His Word if, if, for that instruction and for that growth, but also 
because it's the word of our Father. And I, I shared last week how if I had the opportunity, I'd love to sit with my father again. We had good times on his sailboat and repairing cars and, and going camping. And I miss that. I'd love to hear from my father. We should want to hear from our heavenly father. And one way we do that is through his word. And of course, prayer and listening. So we need to continue. We can't lad up the slack. We don't want to abuse His love. We don't want to abuse His grace. We want to stay firm and sure to the Word. Hebrews, the, the author uh, goes back, this is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the beginning of the chapter we just read. It's a preface to this information about the, the differences of the mountains we come to. Familiar verse, it's building off of chapter 11, the roll call of faith where it lists all those who uh, lived a great life of faith. And it says, therefore, let us also, again referring to the roll call of faith, those faithful people, seeing that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and that is not the picture of them watching what's going on here. We don't have any indication that God allows that. Maybe he does. It just doesn't say. What it really is, is their life of faith is a witness to living for God. And so they are witnesses that have gone before us. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin that entangles us. It keeps us from, from being able to do the things of God, the sin in our life. Let us run with perseverance. The race isn't over yet. We have some time that we still need to continue on. And it is a life of perseverance. You know that. Life is difficult and challenging. It's wonderful and glorious. It has many joys. There are ups and downs, good times and bad. But it takes perseverance to get through them. So let us run with perseverance the race set before us looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's at the finish line waiting for us, watching for us. And as we run, as we strive, we're moving toward Him who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The cross wasn't easy on Him. The cross was hard. The cross was painful. He, he had a human body. When that spear went in, it hurt. When the nails went in, it hurt. But the greatest pain was when he took our sins upon himself. And at that moment, with all of the sins of mankind on him, he and the Father were separated. God cannot look on sin. He can't abide with sin. And that is why Jesus cried out those words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because your sins were on him for just a short time because he carried him to the grave. He endured that for your benefit. He endured the shame so that you could have eternal life. He endured the pain, the revile of men, so that you could have abundant life. And now he's risen again, and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. A great and powerful work on our behalf.
And this is what the book of Hebrews is using to encourage us, stay true to the faith. We have, uh, I have it in here in just a minute. But Paul talked about that sure. You, we teach, I believe, I believe the Bible teaches it, that we cannot lose our faith. Paul said, I'm persuaded, and if anybody knew the scriptures, it was Paul. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how we get in his love. Paul was sure that having accepted Christ as the Messiah, that he was, he was in God's hands. And nothing, no powers, not even himself could pull him out of that. We have Jesus reminding them, then I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There is coming that day when we will be held accountable, when we will be we sifted to the right or the left according to our life. When th- those that are, are sifted to the left, those goats go to a life of eternal damnation and separation from God. Those on the right that live for Jesus go to a life of reward in heaven. But even in that, we are told that depending on how we live, we will be giving different responsibilities So our life is going to be weighed and measured. And Jesus will say to many who think they know him, depart from me, for I never knew you. Going to be sad words we have. This is the verse in in Hebrews I alluded to just a minute ago. Famous verse 11.6. Without faith it is impossible to be well pleasing to him or to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We come to God by faith. We have revelations in our life where we see his hand working. We see healings. We see provision. We see see these kind of things. But bottom line is, it's a walk by faith that even if we don't see, we continue on in faith. Even when it gets hard and it's dark and we're going through that valley and things are going wrong, we rest in that sure faith, the rock of Jesus Christ, the foundation of his word, that God is true, he's still with us, he hadn't abandoned us, and he will see us through to that great reward that he's called us to. So we hang in there. We don't give up. We continue on. We do like we did last night where we put in uh, time to share. And one of the things that uh, blesses pastor's heart is I took the pictures of the children as I spoke to them that I would hear those around me saying, we'd love to see you in the morning. We have a youth program going on. Why don't you come and be a part of that? That was the purpose of last night. It was a fun time. 
We gave away lots of candy, lots of prizes. They got to play games. Uh, It was a good time. But the bottom line was to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Those children are going to have a better life as they come to know who Jesus Christ is. That's why those of you who do it and those of you who support it, we do Wednesday night. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a challenge, it's a thing to give up a night of our week. It takes a two or three hours out of our night. But it's letting these children know and through them, the parents, that there is a God that loves them, who wants a relationship with them, that there is a place they can come to be safe, to be fed, to be loved, to be cared for. And so that's the purpose. It needs to be the purpose of each and everything we do. We do fun things. We do Team Kid. We do Fall Festival. We do VBS. We take them to youth camp. We have the cantata. We have other events that are enjoyable and fun. But the bottom line purpose is to proclaim Jesus Christ. And so we hang in there. We don't give up. We stay firm. And depending on where you are in those five steps, maybe you've not even entered them. I pray that you're stalwart and sure, that you never doubt, that you're not drifting at all, that you love being in God's Word. But if you're not, if you can look and you can see that you're kind of in that mist of, of questioning, of wondering, of listening to the lies of Satan that is that really what God wants? Then that's the time to examine your heart. That's the time to realize the mountain you've come to, a mountain of faith and grace and love, a mountain with a Savior who gave all for you to have all, a a Savior who was willing to endure the pain here on earth the separation from his Father momentarily so that you might have eternal fellowship with God. We have, uh, we have work to do. We have many that need to hear the Word of Christ. And God has called us to that function and He's, he's brought you here to be a part of that work. And so each of us need to stand faithful and true lifting each other up, taking each other by the arms, lifted the brother who is, who is lagging because they're weary and tired and beaten down by life, lifting us each other up so that we can go forth in proclaiming the Word of God, looking forward to that day that we receive our reward. And so let's take heed to the words of Hebrews Let's remember what a great Savior we have, greater than the angels, greater than Moses of the law and his covenants, a better covenant, greater than the priest, even Melchizedek, greater than all creation, and the great God of heaven humbled himself, became a man, because that was the only way that your sins could be atoned for, that you could have eternal life, and that you could have communion with the Father. 
Let's stand as we prepare to sing. Familiar chorus, really. I have decided to follow Jesus. We're just going to sing the first and I think the third stanza, just two stanzas. But it's a chance for you to affirm. You can come forward if you want to speak with me or pray. But where you are, to affirm, like Joshua told his people, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You respond to God now as we sing, I have decided. <laughs>